Good morning, my name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to gather with you and to sit underneath the Word of Christ, to worship underneath the Word of Christ, along with you as well. If you would stay in your Bibles here, Mark chapter 6. This world is broken. It's a broken place. If we don't have that thought somewhere inside of our hearts, we're not seeing reality. And we ourselves are broken. We don't work right. And you got the flesh inside, the sin inside, and the brokenness of the world, and it leaves us in pain. Every one of you, every one of us this morning comes here in pain, in suffering, in affliction. And it's amazing watching my kids how they... There's a constancy of dependence, desire, and asking their mom and dad for food. It's like, it's like unbelievable. Like you just had lunch five minutes ago. How are you hungry again? But they have located this, this pain of hunger inside of them, and they've located on mom and dad, and that's where they go, and they go relentlessly there. And as kids grow up, as we grew up, we start to realize that mommy and daddy can only do so much for us. And it's that rude awakening to a world that leaves us completely empty and unsatisfied and helpless and afraid. And where do we go? Who can take care of us? And at some point, we all begin asking the question, does God exist? But more so than that, we don't really care objectively if God exists. We care, does God exist and does He care about me? And then we also might ask, does God exist? Does He have the power to then do something for me? A question of care and a question of provision. In our text this morning in Mark, we're seeing these themes play out. In the Bible, one of the, one of the great themes that connects compassion and desire for care and provision is this metaphor of shepherd and sheep. The Bible treats us as people like sheep. And what does sheep need? They need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, sheep are helpless, they're harassed, easily oppressed, they, they walk into danger, they wander off cliffs, they starve. Somebody bring me to some green grass and to some still waters. That's what we all desire this morning. Rest, provision, coming from a shepherd that would care for us, care about us know our situation, and then step in to meet us. That's exactly what we see today in this text. Jesus is the answer to these questions. Does God exist? Yes, He does. In the testimony and the witness of Jesus, does God care for us? Does He have compassion for us? Yes, He does in the person of Jesus. And does God provide for us? Yes, He does. And yes, He has in the person and work of Jesus. We have two main headings that we're looking at this morning, two attributes of Jesus. So if I summarize it, I would say this, Jesus, the great shepherd, 
has deep compassion for his sheep and gives them eternal provision. Deep compassion and eternal provision come from Jesus, the great shepherd. We're looking at a text today that is very common. It's probably the most famous meal in the world. A lot of unbelievers know this meal. They might not believe that it actually happened, but this is a famous meal, probably the most famous apart from the Lord's Supper. The feeding of the 5,000, and, and I pray that we would look at it with a new lens this morning uh, to see fresh grace, a renewed uh, excitement, a renewed passion to see Jesus coming to us in compassionate, provisional love. Let's pray as we dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you come to us in your word this morning. You come to us in the midst of our pain, our sin, our struggle, our fears, the fears that are gripping our souls this morning, the anxiety, the depression, all of the things that ail us this morning, you come to us now in your word. God, treat us as your sheep and provide for us. Would you feed us now with your word? And may we, as your sheep, feast upon it to know you, God, and to find rest and satisfaction for our souls. We give you this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first main point, the great shepherd has deep compassion for his sheep. Verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. We'll stop there. So Jesus is, he's, he's working in ministry. He's been teaching the word of God, doing all kinds of amazing acts, testifying to the fact that he is God. We've been studying these. And then he sends out the disciples a couple weeks ago to carry on this exact same mission. Go teach the word of God and perform acts of God to care for people and to proclaim who I am, that these signs and wonders would testify to this good news word that you're, you're declaring and proclaiming and giving evidence for the new kingdom to come. What, what will be there? It's going to be the beauty of a restored creation. All these types of things. So Jesus sends them out. And then today in our text, they come back. So Jesus receives them. It's this beautiful model of Jesus being with, calling them, being with them, training them, sending them out. And they've come back and now Jesus is doing a little debriefing with them. And we see verse 30, the disciples return and they're excited. They're, they're telling Jesus all that they begin to teach and to do. We've been doing all this stuff exactly like you've been doing. It's your power in us, extending your mission out into the world. They're excited, but as ministry is awesome, it's also busy and it's exhausting. And Jesus is not blind to the needs of the disciples here. So he says, come away, come away with me to a desolate place and rest a while for you don't even have time to eat. That's how busy they are. Not enough time to even eat. And you know, as well as I know, that leaves you a little bit hangry. That gets you hangry, hungry and angry. You need food. We all need food. But I think the broader point here is Jesus wants us to rest inside of ministry. 
We're working hard for the king. That's both spiritual and physical. We need time to slow down in the midst of life and to rest and be alone with Jesus. So he has compassion on his disciples in this way. He also has compassion on the crowds. We see next, verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus then gets, gets his disciples in the boat and they head off. They're trying to escape. Like, get away from the crowd. We need to rest and eat. And I love this. The crowd, so eager. They're like on the shore, like watching. Which way is the boat going? Which way is the boat going? Where's the current? What's happening? And I don't know exactly how this happens, either geographically how the boat was going or winds kind of slowed them down. But the crowds are able to figure it out. Word travels and all these crowds show up to Jesus and the disciples' destination before they get there. So just imagine, you know, you show up and the disciples are like, exhausted, wiped out. Yes, we get to just have some downtime with Jesus, the King. And they're pulling up on shore and all the crowds are here. No more break, no more space. And if I was the disciples, I'd be like, all right, back in the boat. Let's go. Like, let's keep this, keep this adventure going. Like, get away quick. Is that how Jesus responds? No. This is one of the key Phrases, words in this whole text today. It's actually where one scholar said the entirety of this narrative hinges on this point and on this word. Jesus had compassion. He saw the crowds and he had compassion. It's a deep, deep stirring of the inward parts. Their their original language that are... The definition would be like the the inward moving of the bowels. It's a deep, deep moving. And as some scholars were able to bring this out to to me, like it's very different than how we might even see compassion in, in English. You have these two pieces of the word, come with and passion, suffering. So it's like with suffering is what compassion means, but it's greater than that, the way that it's used here in this text. It means basically, as, as one person put it, uh, Seeing the need, seeing pain, identifying with pain, and being compelled to act in order to relieve the situation. Right? Compassion is identifying or suffering with other people and being compelled to act in such a way that you remove the situation that's causing the suffering. It's impossible to have this sort of compassion on the couch. This sort of compassion blasts you off of the couch into active motion to do something. To do something about another situation. And what is the situation that Jesus sees? He says they were like sheep without a shepherd. Because the crowds were like sheep without a shepherd. So then what does he do? This is the second great point or second point, not great point, but the second point, the great shepherd gives eternal provision to his sheep. Verse 34b, and Jesus began to teach them many things. So he sees the crowd 
His heart breaks for them. He can't stay silent. He can't get back in the boat and leave. He has to do something now in this very moment. And what does he do? He opens his mouth and he begins to speak the words of God. He begins to teach them. He begins to teach them because he knows that this is what is most important for them. The Word of God is the most important thing in the universe for people. It's the most important thing in the universe to feed us spiritually. The Word of God is what feeds us. The Word of God is what leads us and guides us and protects us and satisfies us and nourishes us and fills us with joy and expressible. It is the Word of God that does that. So Jesus automatically goes into this mode. What is, gonna, what is the first thing I need to do to help these sheep without a shepherd? I'm going to speak the Word of God to them. In other words, the Word of God is what shepherds them. It shepherds their souls. And in verse 35, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. There might be a little bit of anxiety cultivated here, stirring inside of these disciples. Maybe they're getting a little bit upset. Like their, their vacation, their little getaway with Jesus just got massively interrupted. And what they thought was going to be some lounge time has turned into maybe a day-long seminar of teaching. Still no food, still no rest. Jesus just keeps on teaching. Their hangriness is probably getting pretty serious. They do, they do maybe cloak it or maybe it's legit. They, they put some concern in here and they say like, hey, Jesus, don't you realize what's happening here? Like you teaching them is killing them. They're not going to have food. They're going to they're gonna die. Like send them away to go get some food. So what you need to do, Jesus. Verse 37, Jesus answers back. You give them something to eat. And this state this command would have caught them really off guard. Really off guard. They're out in a desolate place. And these disciples, I mean, we saw a couple weeks ago, Jesus told them to go out with nothing. How are we going to feed all these people? Jesus, are you, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? Like, what in the world? And so they respond, Possibly sarcastically, they say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? This was like a year, almost a year's worth of wages, eight months or so of wages. Like, that's really what we're going to do here, Jesus? You want us to spend a whole year's worth of wages and feed this massive crowd? Very funny, Jesus. Not going to happen. But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He gives them an impossible task. This, this is mission impossible on purpose. They are being tested. The disciples are being tested. What will they do? They fail the test. They looked to themselves. They looked to their bank accounts. They looked to their own resources. 
They failed the test. They looked to what their eyes could see out here in the world, in the physical. Jesus has been trying to get them to, to think spiritually, to see him for who he really is. And they're, they're not getting it. And so Jesus steps in. Okay, guys, I'm going to take control here. Verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. And then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. So the disciples come back with essentially this little boy's sack lunch, little bag lunch, some cracker-like bread and some fish. That's all they got for all these people. And Jesus, like was customary for a head of a household in the Jewish, in the Jewish time, the Jewish culture, but to sit the people down and then say a blessing. It's like he's, he's offering this meal as the head of this household, and he says some sort of blessing, maybe something like the following, or maybe this exact blessing, which was very common in this day. Praise to you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you have created. And then it gets dispersed. They hand it to the disciples. The disciples go out, giving it to the crowds. And the disciples come back and Jesus' hands are still full. Grab some more bread and fish. They go out and give it to people to come back. Jesus' hands are still full. <laughs> what is happening in this moment? His hands are not diminishing their resources the food just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. It's not stopping. It would appear to be an everlasting supply of provision. And they're able to give it to everybody on this grass. 42, verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. They were satisfied. That is, there's no desire for more. Complete contentment. Taken care of in the moment. No more room in the belly. Don't need, don't need anything else. Satisfied. Jesus is the all-satisfying Savior. And He satisfies us like no other can do. The provision is not only just satisfying, but so abundant. See that also here in this text. It's, it's abundant, explicitly, abundantly so. Jesus intentionally doing this. It wasn't just a perfect amount to feed the crowd. There's an abundance here as they took up, verse 43, 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. They ended this meal with more food than when they started. You ever been to a meal like that? 
This is a miraculous meal testifying to the abundance of Jesus, the abundance of provision in Jesus. 5,000 men is, is a, the, the word is, is generic, specific. It's men, not women. And so this, this number would have included all the women and the children that were there. And so people estimate it maybe in the, in the neighborhood of 20,000 people. 20,000 people out here in this desolate place. Nothing grows out here. There's no food out here. You're going to die if you stay out here. And right in this spot, Jesus provides food abundantly for everyone. And they are satisfied. Abundant, satisfying provision. And so if we tie the two points together, Jesus moved by deep compassion for the crowds, provides for his people an abundant meal. It's a miraculous, glorious story. One that we've all heard probably many times. And it is beautiful and amazing all on its own. But like a diamond that can turn, we can see actually the, the entirety of the gospel narrative in the, in the Word of God, the Bible. We can see the entirety of it sparkling in, in all of its brilliance inside of this story. And I just want to do a little survey with you guys. We're going to, we're going to dig a little bit. And the, the point is not to overwhelm you with so much trying to piece it all together. But I do want us to be overwhelmed with what God is doing in this story. How God is doing something massive in what, is, what seems to be a ministry interruption. He's actually doing something of unbelievable brilliance in this moment. So much of the Bible, as we look back and forward, we're going to see this story shine. As we look back, we see Jesus here as the new Moses. And I was helped by so many scholars who pointed out all these different things this week. It was great even for me to see a lot of new things that I've never seen before. Jesus as the new Moses. Consider the parallels. Moses leads his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into a desolate place where God gives them his word. And where God tests them and where God miraculously feeds them out in the wilderness with manna before they are led into the promised land. And so too, in our story, Jesus leads everyone out into a desolate place, gives the people the word of God, tests his disciples, and miraculously feeds the people. And they are satisfied, pointing us towards the kingdom of come. He's the new Moses. He's also the new Joshua. Moses prays this in Numbers 27. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. The immediate fulfillment for this prayer was Joshua. Joshua was pointing towards Jesus. They actually shared the exact same name in the Hebrew. They both have the name Yeshua. Jesus is this new Joshua to lead us into the promised land as the faithful shepherd that 
Moses is praying for in Joshua. We also see that Jesus is the new David. God has just rebuked all the, uh, this is in the time of Ezekiel. Uh, God rebukes all the shepherds through Ezekiel. The shepherds of Israel, they are not feeding the people. They're not taking care of the people. They're taking care of themselves. And so God comes through Ezekiel and blasts them with, with some stinging judgment. But then he prophesies. Or verse 11, here in this chapter 4, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, in, in chapter 34, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There shall they lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. You jokers, kings of Israel, you cannot shepherd my people. I will be the shepherd. And I myself will make them lie down desires, declares the Lord God. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. This is past the time of David. He's saying through the line of David, I am raising up a new David, one that David was pointing to, who would be a shepherd king to satisfy and feed my people. So we've seen, jo we've seen Moses, Joshua, David. These are major characters in the Old Testament. And then we see in the prophets, Jesus as the new Elijah. There is a famine in the land. There's, there's no food. They're starving. And Elijah is told to go to this widow. 1 Kings 17, 15, Elijah goes to this widow and speaks to her some instructions from the Lord. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. There, there was no food previously, uh, just a teeny bit that she went and got for him, made one little cake. But then verse 16 of chapter 17, the jar of flour was not spent. And neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. That is, there was a famine, there was a little bit of food, and then there was a feeding that never ran dry, that never got empty. Does that sound familiar to our text today? Even more striking is the parallels that we see in the new Elisha. Jesus is the new Elisha. Again, another famine, 2 Kings 4, 42 a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But a servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Sound like our text today? A little bit of food given in the midst of a famine and everyone is fed miraculously and there is food left over. That's looking back. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these leaders and heroes in the Old Testament Looking forward, we also see this 
story of feeding the 5,000. And we see it heading to the cross. We see it going to the cross and then to the glorious kingdom on the backside. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes, this is Jesus speaking, only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus' compassion on us, broken, sinful humanity, does not keep him in heaven. Looking down at us, struggling, and just saying, oh, that's so sad. No, he has compassion in heaven, and it stirs him to come to put on flesh, to do for us what we cannot do ourselves, to shepherd us. The way that he does that is living a perfect life, and then he goes to the ultimate desolate place, the cross, where he bears the fullness of the wrath of God in our place. What's striking, though, is that in this desolate place, at the cross, that becomes the place of our provision. His compassion led him to provision that would take place at the cross, in a death, in a giving of himself. It's no coincidence that Jesus, the night before he was betrayed and died on the cross in Mark 14, another meal takes place with his disciples, right? As Passover is happening, again, pointing us back to the Exodus. And they all sit down and Jesus takes bread. And it says, after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Jesus compassionately provides this meal. He, he not only suffers with us, but he takes our suffering completely upon himself in the cross. As we connect this to the feeding of the 5,000, right, Jesus in compassionate love provides a meal in a desolate place by miraculously breaking the loaves and the fish. And so at the cross... In a desolate place, he breaks his own body so that all would be fed who would partake of him and be eternally satisfied. This is the compassion and the provision that God has given us as sheep. Are you feasting on Jesus feasting on this good news this morning, and it even gets better because all this is pointing us to the inauguration of the kingdom of God and resurrection glory. Jesus comes out of the grave. We will die in this life if Jesus doesn't come back. And at some point in the inauguration of the new life, the new heavens to earth to come, there is a marriage supper of the Lamb 
where Jesus once again will be at the head of a table and there will be the choicest of meals there. All is a testimony of the prize of the universe, the person of Jesus Christ. Partaking of him, his nature, the nature of God. Where we will then live as his sheep in his pasture, protected, guarded, fed, provided for in every possible way for all eternity. Are you feasting on Jesus this morning? If you're not, then today is the day. Don't wait any longer. God has come for you. If you're asking, does, does God care for me? Yes, he does. Because he came in Jesus and he died on a cross for you. And if you're asking, well, does God have the power and the strength to provide for me? Yes, he does. Because he came in Jesus and in the cross, he defeated every foe and provided for you in every possible way. May we be encouraged this morning. We are sheep of his pasture. He is taking care of us. The great shepherd is over our souls, has already provided for us everything that we could possibly desire. May we be satisfied in Christ today and may we take this message to the ends of the earth. Certainly there's some missional implication here. Possibly this one little boy that brings his lunch and Jesus multiplies it and feeds the multitudes. Would we this morning consider our lives not looking to our physical resources as the matter of fact thing that we got a way to see if we're going to be able to fulfill the mission of God or do great things in this life? No. May we look with eyes of faith to King Jesus and say, Jesus, this is all I have, but in your hands, it's an abundance. It doesn't matter this morning what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter this morning what, what your level of perceived uh, knowledge of, of your own uh, gift set or your skill or your knowledge. It doesn't matter. What matters is you make yourself available to the king. And you set your eyes on the king and he will take you, right? First Corinthians 15, our labor is never in vain because he's the resurrected Lord, sovereign of all th over all things. Would we as the church bring our meager offerings to Jesus and say, here, do with this, do with me as you please, multiply it and feed the nations that this whole world may know for your glory and the joy of all of our souls and all the peoples of this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great word this morning, miraculously providing for your people, showing us that you are a God that cares. You are a God that passionately cares for us right now in our pain and our struggle. And we we ask you to just come in, come in now with your, with your word, with your Holy Spirit and satisfy us. And we have eyes of faith to see how you have provided for us in every way. Yes, in this life, as we talked about last week, we are sheep that are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Facing our death all the day long. But even still, God, you are the shepherd of our souls. You will lead us through whatever we're going through in this life, and you will lead us through death itself. 
Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for God. You are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies and you anoint our heads with oil. Our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy and love will follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, we praise you for your son, Jesus. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. There is an eternal shepherd over the house of Israel. And we look to him like little children look to their mamas and their daddies. We look to him now. Lead us, guide us, satisfy us. You alone are God and our great shepherd. And extend mission through us, God. Empower us. Empower us with your spirit to live life on mission that others would be fed in the same ways that we ourselves have been fed. It's in your name we pray. Amen.